This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Chris Warrington, who is the assistant to Meryl Hoffman in the presenters department at Curtis Brown. Hiya. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? All good. All good. Um, yeah, I'm awake, which is... Yes, it is. It is 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. But that we did is, it. We did it. That is my fault because it's <laughs> half term and I have to go to work because people need looking after. Gotta earn money. Gotta earn money. But we're here. Gotta earn that dollar. Yeah. So we're going to start with our word association game. So just oh, say no. the first thing that comes into your head. Don't freak out. Just go for it. I prepared more for this than I did for my exams. So Did you actually? I did, yeah. He's ready. He's ready. So, pizza. Food. Holiday. Needed. Spotlight. Dread. Edinburgh. Home. Deep fried Mars bar. Absolutely revolting. Fresh bed sheets. The one. Press night. Stress. Covent Garden. Stress. Uh, and one final one, Starbucks Reserve. Um, down in my estimations. Seeing as you've just been there. I've just been there. I mean, they have nice mugs and stuff, but... They do in like fancy teapots, but who wants to spend £65 on a teapot? Right. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, Chris, let's just get started. Um, when did you start to become involved in this industry? Quite a while ago, um, I I'd always had an interest in being loud and obnoxious and having the attention on me. And ever since I was a kid, my parents trying to like shoehorn me into, please stop annoying us. Can you maybe just go do like a lesson or two? Um, my grandparents tried to get me to play the bagpipes at one point, which I'm not sure if that's like every Scottish kid. <laughs> Has been forced a into chanter. playing that yeah exactly they were like oh we'll get you a chanter um and i had a kill in everything so i think th- ever since i was little i had just had so much energy and so much i was like a little old man as a child and just needed some sort of creative outlet um and i tried like every single creative outlet that you can get um i did gymnastics at one point which i was awful at um I did everything. I even took up art classes and did pottery after school, which was, I think it was just like me and a teacher and it was, it was so embarrassing because people used to walk past the window and be like, oh, Chris is doing pottery with Miss Hannah again. Um, so I've had like every creative outlet that I could try and then I did drama at school, um, at standard grade. Um, is standard grade a thing in England? No. It's not, is it? It's like GCSE. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, it's not even a thing in Scotland anymore. Is it not? No. Scrap them. I feel gone. really old now. Right? <laughs> oh no. Um, and then I did I did drama at standard grade and I had a, a really amazing teacher. Um, and I never really got the whole teacher um, student thing and, and, and having a really inspiring teacher, but as soon as I walked into his lesson, I was like, yes, this is what I'm gonna do. Um, and I just had a really great time for the, the three years that I did drama, I did it at standard grade, and then I did higher. Please tell me hires are still a thing. Yes, hires are Good, still hires are still a thing. Um, <laughs> And I just had the best time. Um, and then I um, part-time did uh, like drama classes um, and I went to, um, I did a part-time course at the school which I then went on to study further at. Um, 
and yeah, I'd really made my mind up that this was what I wanted to do and I poured so much passion and um, ambition and energy into it and then upon graduating just thought, oh, actually no, I just really don't want to do this. Um, moved to London and then flipped to the other side um, and for a few years I've been, um, been agenting. So um, yeah, it's been a good few years I've been um, slogging around in the industry. So can you chat to us about your training? Because obviously after your training you decided mm. you didn't want to do it. Um, and was there any kind of, we'll get on to your mental health, but was there any kind of support at your school for mental health? Should you need it? There was none. Um, there was none at, at high school either, but I, I understand why perhaps at high school it's different. It was, I went to um, a state school State school? Yeah. Yeah, state school. Um, obviously budgets are tight and there was no there was no mental health support um, or support full stop for, for anyone that was at that school. Um, and especially as like a young gay kid who was quite flamboyant, teachers knew that I was having quite a hard time. Um, there was just nothing there. So I thought leaving high school and going to college, which you obviously pay a lot of money for, and you're there by choice, you're not there by having legally yeah. to be in school. Um, so I thought that I was gonna further my studies and that I was gonna, I was gonna really hone my craft and, and, and study what I wanted to, to go on and become. But also that other things were gonna come along with that. So like socially I'd learn stuff differently. I'd, I'd make a new friend group. Um, and most importantly I'd get a support system, which perhaps was advertised, um, or you would think that, that being in, in the industry, um, especially training where you've got to explore every single thing about yourself um, and about the industry and about different characters that you can play in different disciplines, you would kind of assume that you would have that support system, um, but that just didn't happen. So all the kind of things that I had built up over high school and primary school and this internalised sort of hatred for, for kind of the person that you are. Being a little bit different, um, that went on for the next three years when I was studying. Um, but as everyone knows, studying at drama school is like a world of its own and it's, it's so much pressure and it's the hardest three years you will ever do in your life because you're broken down as a person and you're rebuilt. And it's a horrible, horrible environment to be in if you don't have a support system and you have things going on outside of the four walls of the classroom. So no, a support system didn't really exist and left me upon graduating in a really weird place where I had so many things that I hadn't dealt with that then being thrown into the world of being a graduate, which is terrifying. Um, and moving down to London, I moved down to London myself I only had like two friends down here because not everyone from my year had moved down from Edinburgh yet. Um, so I had like two people down here, both went on jobs as soon as I moved down, they both got a panto job. So I moved down in October, they left like a week later. Um, I moved in with people I didn't know. I started a job and didn't know anyone that was there. So it was a really isolating environment to not only be chucked into graduate life, but just throw yourself into London and have no coping mechanism or no support network. So it's, re it's, it's, it's a really terrifying position to be in. And yeah, I, I, I don't understand why schools don't have 
a better mental health support system or a better support system full stop because people have other things going on yeah. that don't necessarily relate to mental health but but one in four people suffer with a mental health okay. um issue so i don't i don't really understand why you know these things aren't in place yeah it's a bit worrying i think it's definitely getting a bit better like i mean when did you graduate i graduated 2016. yeah it's the same year as me i think I think since then, it is three years, three years yesterday was my last day at Arts Ed. Oh, I was wow. like, oh my god, that's How time way, flies. Right? Mm. Um, but things are definitely, things are definitely getting better, yeah. the support systems are getting in place. Um, so while we're on that topic, can you chat to us about your experiences with mental health? I, I've had a weird experience with mental health that I come from a family in perhaps a town and just as a person it's not talked about your your mental health isn't talked about it's something you deal with yourself and you've kind of got to find you've got to find the resources yourself to deal with it which as everyone knows the first the the first thing you need to do is admit that you need help and that's really difficult to do if you don't know what you're looking for um so yeah i've, I've always struggled with um with my mental health um I've never, I know now what to do and how to cope. Um, and I'm in, a, I'm in a really great place now, I'm in a really great relationship. Um, Career-wise, um, I feel like I'm kind of smashing out the park and I, I'm achieving all the things that have kind of backlogged and I've not been able to do because um, I've had other things going on mentally. Um, I'm a very anxious person um, and I will never make a decision on my own through fear of it not being the right decision or the fear of um, or the fear of disappointing someone, which I'm sure you will agree in this industry, you second guess absolutely everything. Like, oh, should I have sung that song to this edition? Or did I wear the right outfit? Or, oh, I didn't shake, I shook everyone's hands, bar the pianist. So what if when I walk out the room, the pianist says, yeah, they were horrible, they didn't shake my hand. And then you spiral into this like pit of, of self-doubt and worry and you second guess absolutely everything that you do so that manifests itself in, in every single thing that you do in life so when you have dinner you you suddenly think oh, i can't decide what i want for dinner and that tiny inconvenience of mm, do i have salad or do i have fish and chips for instance you get yourself so wrapped up in oh, why on earth can i decide what i wanted to have for dinner like that's so frustrating. Why am I getting so, so annoyed over simple little decisions? And then you play back on the annoyance of not being able to decide what you want, or or you get annoyed at yourself for being anxious or worried about about something. So it's this big like heaping circle. And if you don't break that circle, it keeps on snowballing. So every single thing that you do, you second guess, and you get anxious and worried about. The decisions that you're making, even the tiny minute ones like what you're gonna have for dinner. Um, and it just snowballs and, and suddenly you find yourself in a position where you're in a really really dark place because you don't trust yourself to make decisions anymore, you don't you don't really trust the journey that you're on per se um, and that's a really terrifying place to be on and I, I find that I was making no decisions for myself which sounds like a bizarre thing to get wrapped up in but not having the ability to say yes or no to things through fear of disappointing someone. So always having to be at social situations 
um, or going on a night out and constantly thinking, I'll have one more drink and I'll leave because I really don't want to be here. And I only came out because I didn't want people to be disappointed that I'd said no to coming out. But I really, 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 really don't want to be here and I don't have the money to be here and I'm not in the right mindset to be here. And then you leave and you think, oh, maybe did I leave one drink too early? And what if they're all talking about me when I've left and said, oh, he's really rude because he's left. And it's only like half past 11. So you find in every single area of your life, the, the, especially the places that you think you, you would be able to escape and have fun with friends, you just get into this horrible snowball effect of completely doubting every single thing that you do. And I went through that for so many years, especially at college where you're constantly expected to be out and about and be really sociable and you're expected to go to house parties and drink and do whatever else and sometimes that's just not what you want to do and that you want to go home and you want to have a bath and you want to have your favourite food and you want to watch your favourite TV programme and you just want to have a bit of self-care and you just, you really don't want to force yourself to do something but you feel like you have to. So I did that for so many years and it drove me into a real pit of depression um, because then I isolated myself and thought, well, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to go out and about. I'm not going to, I'm not going to force myself into doing these things. But then you're kind of left with, well, what else do I have? Because these people are your support network. So you, you kind of find yourself in Catch-22 where if you're not talking about what, what is going on behind the scenes, people can't help you. But... At the same time, you don't want to talk about this because what if people think, mm, well, he's a bit of a kind of Debbie Downer, so we're not going to invite him to lunch because what if he just talks about what's going on in his life? And that's not at all the case because when I actually opened up about my mental health, people were so supportive. And you kind of kick yourself and think, oh my God, why didn't I do this years ago? Like, what? This is no big deal. And actually, when you say to people, I'm struggling, I really need help, I've got myself into this weird situation, People are like, oh yeah, I did that too. Like three weeks ago when we went to the theatre, I couldn't think of anything worse than doing that. But I went along because you seemed really keen to go along. And then you find yourself opening up and having a conversation with other people. And actually people are, everyone's going through the same stuff as you. Um, and that's, that's really liberating. So t to open up and talk and kind of pull yourself out of that, that really horrible situation and dark place um, was the best thing. I think that I could have done. And I think if it had gone on any later, I'd hate to think what would have happened because it was a, it's a really horrible place to be in when you're so isolated and you think you're the only one with the issue that's, that's currently kind of plaguing you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I think that's one thing that we've realised from doing the podcast is that every time someone starts talking, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there. Or yeah. I know someone who's been mm. there. And there's been very, very few situations where I've not been able to yeah. relate or know someone who's related to that. So, you left drama school, but as yeah. you said, you didn't really want to continue down the acting route. Did you audition for any period of time, or did you go straight into the agent life? I had like nine months after, so like a year after graduating, but nine months after moving to London, I was kidding myself that still kidding myself that this is what I want to do. And I'd, ma I'd made up that I didn't want to do this before I'd moved down to London, before I'd graduated. Because I had such a, I had a really rough time at college, as previously mentioned, previously mentioned, with no support system. So I think I'd very quickly realised, this is not what I want to do. But I'd made the plan to move to London, I had an agent, 
I told everyone that I was moving to London to start in this industry. So I didn't want to disappoint anyone and say, actually, this isn't what I want to do anymore. And it's no one's business what, what you want to do. If you suddenly wake up one day and think, actually, I'm going to train to be a nurse. If people are disappointed, it's nothing you have to worry about because that's what you want to do to be happy. And that's something that I didn't realize. Again, going back to every decision you make, you, you kind of always feel that you have to please someone. Um, so yeah, for nine months I was down in London um, and I was auditioning and I just suddenly snapped one day and I didn't go to an audition because I was dreading it so much. Um, this is terrible. If anyone ever brings up the fact that I will tell them never to cancel an audition or never pretend that they're ill and then they bring me back to this, but I cancelled and pretended I was ill. And I remembered the disappointment from my agent because he had a really good personal relationship with um, with the casting director. And I personally handled it really terribly. I I emailed like an hour before and was like, I'm ill, I'm not going in. Um, so I handled that terribly. But I remember the disappointment from my agent and thinking, I can't I can't handle this. I can't be I can't disappoint anyone anymore. So I'm gonna do things on my terms. I'm gonna drop my agent and I'm gonna find something else that I'm really good at. Um, and so I dropped my agent and decided I'm gonna quit the industry. Um, it wasn't even dramatic. I was in the Starbucks, which is now closed down by Embankment. And I just like wrote an email. And then I got I got a ping back from um, my agent who, who I'm really close personally with. Um, he used to be my singing teacher at college. Um, he's a really, really wonderful person. Um, and it was a really good support network for me when I, when I moved to London. Um, and then when I opened up about everything that was going on and I just, I, he just said, I knew that this was what you were going to say. And I knew that this decision was coming and I know that this is right for you. I'm not even going to read the email because you don't need to explain it to me. You need to go do what, what you want to do and what you're going to find happiness in. And having that message come through, I just thought, oh, this is it. I'm going to go do something different. And I've got the approval of the person that I needed the approval from. And everything just went so smoothly. Um, I had a couple of months of trying to really graft and try and find what it was that I wanted to do. Um, and then I got my first agenting gig um, at a really well-established, well-respected uh, agency with the top agent there. Um, and I worked there for a year and I had, I had the best time. And it was, it was throughout that year that I thought I've made the best decision I could ever make in my life because I, I could still be auditioning now. I could, I could be in a job right now, performing job, hating everything that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, it was throughout that year in my first agenting gig that I was like, I've made the right decision. Um, I've made a decision full stop, which was great for me. Um, I've made a decision, I've made the right decision. Um, and I was really, I was, I was kind of happy for the first time. Um, so yeah, that leap away from auditioning um, and the side of the industry that I had worked so hard to achieve was the most liberating thing ever. Yeah. Just waving goodbye to it. Amazing. Do you think that there's a bit of a stigma attached to actors who move away mm. from what they trained in? Absolutely. Um, there's no... I think the, the fact that we use the word quitting in the industry, you're not quitting. You're just moving on to something else. And if you, if you leave the industry or you move on from the industry as a whole and you become a doctor, for instance, 
great, that's a completely different career change and, and you know, great for you. But a lot of the people that leave acting still stay within the industry. So they're not, you know, moving to Outer Mongolia to farm sheep or anything. Like they're still, you still have the same, when I, when I started um, agenting, I was speaking to all the people that were auditioning me. So I was still within that, that world. So yeah, there is a, there's a huge stigma against um, against people who decide that this isn't what they want to do anymore. Um, and that's something that we really need to combat because this cycle of feeling that you need to stay in the industry that you've trained so hard for is only furthering everyone's battles with mental health issues. The, that feeling that you, you need to stick at it because you've trained for three, four, five plus years, spent so much money on it, you know, your parents tell their friends when they have them over for dinner that, that oh, our lovely daughter's down in London, or our lovely son's down in London, or wherever else, um, you know, they're living their dreams and, oh, they're going to be on TV and they did this commercial and, um, you know, they're doing something at the union or whatever. You don't have, it's not, it's not disappointing someone. When I told my parents that I was moving on to something else, they were like, yeah, cool, as long as you're happy. Like, you need to do what's right for you. And we need to break that stigma that, that you're not quitting the industry and it's, it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Because casting directors and agents and choreographers and directors and um, programming staff and working at regional theatres and all that kind of stuff, are people that we need in the industry and the people that employ actors so there's no harm in going over to the other sides or leaving the industry um because you're you you know if you want to if you want to stay in the industry try something different there's no harm in doing a directing course for six weeks if you if you have the cash to do that or um there's no harm in, in taking up an internship in an agency and seeing if that's what's right for you um yeah, I think, I think we need to be open and frank about the fact that this business isn't for everyone. I mean, look at um, Rufus Norris, who, um, at the National, I mean, he, he trained as an actor at RADA and um, is one of, is, is coined as the biggest, most successful failure in air brackets, air commas, um, because he's now the most famous artistic director um, at one of the biggest theatres in the world. So uh, he used to be an actor and now he's gone on to the most incredible things ever. Um, I know so many casting directors who, through you know, having children or um, getting a little bit older and finding that they can't keep up with the industry physically anymore, um, which is another thing that we all need to realise, we are completely expendable and you're not going to last forever. So grow yourself because you're going to have to have something to fall back on. Um, so many casting directors used to be actors and it's not, it's not failing because these casting directors, or it's not quitting, because these casting directors are going on to be the biggest casting directors currently working in the UK. So yeah, like if, you, if you don't enjoy the industry, do something else because there'll be so much support behind you for finding something that you love and really honing your craft. Yeah. Do it. Now you spent a year with um, the agency. I put, I'm putting like air quotes here because that's the actual name of the agency. Yeah, it's really confusing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and they represent um, screenwriters, directors, playwrights, composers, children's authors, and illustrators, which I thought was really interesting. Um, how is it representing creatives like these, and how is it different to representing actors? Poles apart, mm -hmm. completely poles apart. 
um, especially being my first agency gig, I walked in expecting really dramatic Hollywood, like people throwing scripts at me and like booking cars um, and like Sarah Jessica Parker walking through the door. Um, writers, directors and creatives are some of the loveliest people and it's really interesting because, well, it kind of depends what kind of creative. Writers especially have a creative outlet. So whereas actors don't have a creative outlet if you're not acting, I mean, you have other things that are going on. You can have sports or hobbies or whatever, um, but they are crafts. If a writer is feeling something, they can write and they have a creative outlet. So it was really interesting working with, um, on the on the other side, especially as my first agency gig, that was that was a really eye opening experience. Um, really learning the value of your craft and your way to emotionally connect with things um, is something that I've really noted to take forward for future clients or, or that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the most incredible job um, I worked with. A really wonderful agent, Julia Kreitman. Um, and a younger agent, Katie Williams. Um, both lists were incredible. Um, I was lucky enough to look after Katie Mitchell, the director, um, who I had to pinch myself every day and remind myself that I was assisting this incredible director's career. Um, really amazing writers. We had Debbie Horsfield, who writes for Poldark. Um, so many amazing um, writers and directors, Ella McDougall, um, artist director at The Gate, um, she's just done Every Turn at Regent's Park. Um, it was just the most incredible um, experience with, with people who were writers and directors and creatives and just people who were shit hot at what they were doing. Um, and it was so, it just, it lit a flame under me. I was like, yes, this is what I want to instill in every single client I come across. I want them to have this level of passion for what they do, and I want them to be this good at what they're doing. Good and success is completely relative. They just need to be at the top of their game for what their game is. Um, and yeah, it just, it just really set a bar for how people should behave on my side of things as an agent, um, as someone in a position of power um, and really set a bar for how clients should be and how great their work should be and it was just, I just have so many memories of that m incredible year of learning um, which is really nice to look back on that, that uh, no one knows everything, especially me um, but it was just so amazing to, to just gain such a wealth of knowledge from the the top writers and directors and creators and, and, and agents in the industry. Yeah. It's brilliant. Amazing. Hello, it's Stephen from King Manual Therapy in Covent Garden, and I'm going to talk to you today about why we pair singing lessons and vocal massage. This is a unique service in London, and we pair singing lessons with vocal massage to keep the vocal athlete, the professional vocalist, in top condition. This means that you are going to get an audition through and know you can nail it. 
All the details for how to book in for your joint vocal massage and singing lesson are on my website, which is www.kingmanualtherapy.com. Um, so to you, what are the main qualities that you think that you need to be an agent? I think compassion is the big one. You can dress the industry up however you like, um, and you can be whatever kind of agent you like, but I personally believe in order to get a client to trust you and get a client to understand you and for you to understand the client, compassion is 100% the number one thing. Um, jobs come and go, additions come and go, clients come and go, agents come and go. The industry comes and goes actually. You get waves of like, oh it's really busy and now it's not busy. Um, all these things don't happen unless you have a really good relationship with your agent. If you can phone them up and say, I'm having a really bad day today. Um, I don't think I'm gonna be able to go into this room. I'm just having I'm just having a really tough time. There's agents that would say, well, that's not a good enough excuse, so get in the audition room. Um, that's not how the industry should be. And I think that attitude's dying out. Um, and I think we've got a new kind of level of agents that are coming up through the game that are a bit more understanding, but 100% you need to be compassionate. If you're not compassionate and you don't understand how really bloody difficult it is to be an actor, then that relationship is so stinted and it's just not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of agents lose, lose focus on how difficult the industry is for people on the other sides. And I completely understand because through through um, all three agenting jobs that I've now had, there's been days where I've thought, oh God, that's such a ridiculous reason. Like why, like that's, and, and things get built up and it's annoying and, and, and you have other things going on other than just chatting to clients on auditions. You've got invoicing, you've got contracts, you've got um, social media. You, you At the end of the day, agents are a business. So you, you have your business to look after as well. Um, and it's very easy to lose touch and lose focus on how difficult the client's lives are and how di how difficult things are for them. Um, so yeah, compassion is number one. Understanding is the second one. Um, I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with compassion. Um, I think being assertive, because there do there is a time and the place for compassion and understanding, but at the end of the day, agents, know what they're doing we're doing it for a reason and sometimes the client might not see the clear picture or might not see the end game but the agent does hopefully see the end game and they know that if they're putting you in for this show or audition or casting and you don't perhaps think that you're right for it you should be able to open up a dialogue and say look i don't think i'm in for the right things but at the end of the day the the agent will know why they're doing it. Um, yes, you might not be right for Les Mis, but you'll be seen by Cameron's team who are casting Mary Poppins and you're right for that. So uh, things like that, that you, I think you need a bit of authority and a bit of assertiveness um, because hopefully agents will have a wealth of knowledge and a really great team behind them and be able to implement that to the clients. Um, and at the end of the day, agents just want the best for their clients. We don't get paid unless you work and get paid. So, uh, uh, yes, 
it's a two-way relationship. It's, it, I think that's the other thing as well. Um, not necessarily equality, but just remembering that it is a two-way relationship and it's very easy for agents to sit in an office. I know I've done it myself and kind of get wrapped up in the industry. But at the end of the day, the clients need to be at their best to be able to work to get jobs for them to get paid for us to get paid. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a big round circle of everyone just needs to understand each other and be nice. Yeah. You just need to be nice. Mm -hmm. Don't shout at people on the phone. Things happen. If you're late for an audition, then um, you're late for an audition. If you, if you, you know, completely messed up your audition, yeah, it's not great news because you might not get the casting, but at the end of the day, Additions come and go, you've just got to be nice because we're not saving lives. Yeah. We're honestly not saving lives. Um, doctors and nurses and the emergency services, if they've got a bad day, yeah, fine, take it out on us. But if I have a bad day, I can't take it out on my clients because we're not saving lives. Like, we're literally just putting people on stage. Yes, it's hard and we all work incredibly hard and it's an, it's an incredibly important industry, but we're not saving lives, so just be nice. Yeah. yeah. And the industry is so, it's so difficult to try and work out what's going to happen anyway. I mean, I know myself, I've been in auditions where I've come out and I've gone, that was the best audition mm. I have done in the mm. last six months. I am Meryl Streep. I am yeah. amazing. And then nothing happens. But mm. I remember my first job that I got, my final, I was like, wow, that was rubbish. I was like, I was so rubbish in there. And then I got a call the next day to say mm. I got the job. So you can never tell. Yeah, and, we all and that happens so often. Yeah. Exactly. So often, the amount of clients that phone up and say, oh, I think I did really terribly, and then 20 minutes later you get a phone call saying they've got the job or they've got the recall, mm -hmm. or you'll phone up and say to a client, oh, you've got a recall for X or Z on Thursday. And I'll say, that was the worst decision I've ever done, how? Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, you, you never know what's gonna happen, so just keep the faith, be nice, yeah. um, and don't get too wrapped up in the industry. No. We all just need to be kind to each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So just picking up on something you said there, um, how, how do you feel about clients approaching you or giving you a call to say, I I'm not doing too great today? Is that something that you welcome as an agent? Absolutely. Sometimes an agent is the only support network that a client will have. Whether that's, you know, not having many friends because they've just moved down to London or, or wherever else and everything's London-centric. Um, or you know they they don't live with family, or they don't they just don't have that support network that's opened up yet for them because they've not opened up about their problems. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, we're agents, and technically all we should be doing is getting you auditions on paper mm -hmm. um, and sorting out your contracts and your career and your finances. Um, but I think we're we're more than that. You we, I think agents should, more than anyone, know you inside out and back to front. Because um, if they don't, they, you know, you, you're not getting submitted for the right things. You're not, you're not, I know if you phone me up and say you're having a bad day, I'm not going to put you in for anything that week because you need a week or a couple of days or just a day to take time for you and reset yourself and get yourself back to the position where you want to be so that you're comfortable to walk into that room again. Um, so yeah, I, I completely, completely encourage it. Um, I think we should be able to talk to anyone about our mental health. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it should be a taboo, but I understand why that might be difficult for clients to talk to their agent about that because 
there is that fear in the industry that, oh, what if my agent drops me? Or what if, what if the casting director won't see me again? Or what if, what if I get the job and I'm really in a bad place while I'm doing the job? Um, so I understand the, the fear and the apprehension you know, for clients to, to not want to speak about that, but, you know, do it. The worst that can happen is you've taken the weight off of your shoulders by half. That's the worst that can happen. Um, hopefully, people in this um, day and age, um, especially within this industry, are a bit more understanding, I would think so. I think we've reached a good point where everyone's talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. And we're moving in a really good forward direction. So yeah, call your agent up, tell them what's going on in in your life. I mean, I don't want to know what you've had for breakfast. I, I don't really <laughs> want to know about what's going on in in your personal life. We, we you know we don't need to know those things. If you've got that relationship with your agent, great. But I don't really want to know about what you had for dinner or what your mum said about last night's episode of Corey. Mm -hmm. But if you're struggling open up to us because I will find the time and hopefully other agents as well will find the time in the day to go for a coffee with you or will find the time in their schedule to take you to the theatre because it's a good way for you to switch off for two hours. Um, yeah, open up to open up to your agent because they will have a world of advice and coping mechanisms and um, ways for you to combat and battle what you're going through. Because likely they will be suffering from the same thing or have gone through it, or will have clients who will have, have similar experiences. So yeah, talk to them. Yeah. Um, so talking about own experiences, do you think that your own experiences with mental health have made you a bit more empathetic towards clients maybe? Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, I know of people in the industry that don't have a very good understanding and approach to people suffering from a mental health condition um, who are struggling a little bit. I know of, of really um, quite regressive attitudes towards it. Um, but as soon as I got my first agenting gig, that was, that was one of the things that I said to myself, that I will never get so wrapped up in the industry that I'll forget where I've been. Because having that text, as mentioned from my agent saying, I'm not even gonna read your email, I understand what you're saying, you need to go do what's right for you. Having that always playing at the back of my mind, that's the kind of support that my clients should receive. Um, yeah, 100%. It's that kind of practice, what you preach, isn't it? And be kind that I can't expect someone to understand what's going on in my life and be a support network for me if I don't instill that in other people and provide that for other people. Yeah, completely. Um, so what can the higher powers within our industry, and I'm talking like the people with the money, um, what can the higher powers in our industry do to ensure that we are still moving forward with um, bettering mental health rather than just talking about it? Representation. Doesn't sound like it ties in, but it does. A lot of people that I've spoken to in the industry don't feel like they have a place in the industry. I remember growing up, and one of the reasons why I wanted to quit the industry um, was like being told in in college that, yeah, you're gonna have to butch up a bit if you wanna get a role. 
I never saw openly gay roles on film and TV and theatre that weren't this kind of um, caricature of what a gay man should be, which is kind of like sex driven and like um, overly camp and kind of like the gay best friend. So I never really saw myself represented within the industry. So I thought, well, what's the point? Because I don't want to do those roles. Like I'm more than just, I'm more than just those little tidbits that are, that make up me. Um, so I think we really need to push representation within the industry. Um, that will in turn show people that they do belong in the industry and cut out this kind of horrible feeling of not belonging, which just plagues you and manifests itself in a really bad mental health um, problems and, and you, you get in this really horrible situation of, well, why am I doing this anymore? Um, so we need to start dealing with representation. We're on a really good, um, we're on a really good trajectory so far. We just can't plateau that. Um, I also think that there's not there's not enough resources for people that are struggling. Um, where we are now, the Actors Centre have um, a really good service called Talk. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone who's used Talk, which it's such a good resource. But we just need to make more. We just need to make use of the resources that are available, and it's supply and demand. If 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 Talk is busy one evening, you might put another one on, and then in turn we get more support for people that are struggling. Um, but in a show, especially the, the long runners, um, most will have um, physiotherapists, will have resident directors, will have resident choreographers, you'll do cleaning calls, you'll rehearse in your standbys. Um, what doesn't happen is you won't have the opportunity to sit down and talk about your mental health. And mental health and physical health are two separate things, but they overlap. Um, and that more services need to be available for people that are in shows, people that are auditioning. Um, we just need more services. And I don't have all the answers. Um, I wish I did. I don't have all the answers to how we progress, but I think the industry needs to come together more. and. Yes, we're talking about mental health and that's great, but we need to do it. We can't just talk, we need to do. Um, and that there's a lot of, especially on social media, there's a lot of drive um, for opening up about mental health, but there's not enough people doing things about it. Um, and yes, that needs to come from the higher powers up above, but a lot of, at the end of the day, the industry is a, is a business. Um, and that producers and directors and um, the like are here to make money. And I don't think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it is a business and there's only so much that people can do, but we need to be asking for people to do more because until we do that, until we ask the higher powers, the casting directors, the directors, um, the producers, people aren't going to do more until they're asked to do more. Because at the end of the day, it's a business and if if you know people can, if people aren't made aware of the fact that they need to do something more, it's not going to happen. So we need to use the voice that we've currently got and ask for more resources. There needs to be um, counsellors and uh, mental health nurses available to people that are in long-running shows. Um, or uh, the Royal Exchange is a in Manchester is a really good 
um, example of how theatres should be, that they have mental health counsellors on hand should you need them. So yes, they have their physio and um, you know, you take care of, they, they really take care of your physical health there, but you as a performer are more than just your physical health. So I think that's the example that we need to, to take, that, that we need to be looked after as a rounded person rather than just our physical elements. Um, and we just need to, we need to ask and how that's done, if we need to set up an initiative or, um, you know, a change petition or whatever, it, it, we need to use our voices and actually do rather than talk. Mm -hmm. Preach to everything you just said there. Mm -hmm. Love it. So Chris, final question. Could you walk into a room today and say, I'm having a bad mental health day? No, I don't think I could. Really? I think it depends what room. That's a bit of a non-answer to your question, but I think it depends what room. Um, even my even my partner who I've been with for, for two years, we kind of scoop around the outside of mental health. I think it's because we're both in very good places. I personally am in a very good place just now, so I've never I've never had to talk about mental health with him. Um, but even things like that, like I, I don't I know that I could turn to him if something was wrong, but I would feel anxious about about walking into a room and saying I'm really struggling today. Um, I feel like I could probably do that with my employers. Um, the list that I work with, there's some very prevalent people within the industry that are talking about mental health. So I feel like it would be more understood. But but no, in short, I don't think I I don't think I, depending on what room, but I don't think I could. Um, whether that's my own hang-ups about opening up about mental health um, or whether people just wouldn't understand but but no and that's really sad that needs to change yeah that's well, my mid new year's resolution <laughs> mid new year's <laughs> love it um chris thank you so much for joining me thank you um we're gonna finish with another game of course this is finish the sentence <gasps> yay are you ready i am thrilled i'm ready amazing so the first thing i did this morning was wake up yeah True. True. Yeah. My dead or alive party guest is. Oh, we've got so many. Can I say more than one? Yeah, of course. Oh no, it would be Patty Lapone. It oh. would one hundred percent be Patty Lapone, Ultra McDonald, and Bernadette Peters would be my three party guests, and maybe Michelle Obama, because why not? Can you imagine? That would be great. I wouldn't get a word in anyway, no, would I? Like, oh. <laughs> oh my god, I wouldn't speak and I wouldn't eat. Yeah, it would be those four. Amazing. Um, today I am grateful for. The opportunity to talk about mental health with you. Thank you. A book I would recommend to anyone is... Ooh, Becoming Nancy by Terry Ronald. Um, it's in the works to become a musical. Jerry Mitchell is workshopping it just now. Um, I think the workshops have finished actually. Um, it's an incredible book and um, I only read it like a year and a bit ago and it's the first book I've read that I thought I identified with that character. Um, it's great, I, no spoilers, but um, Becoming Nancy by Terry Ronald. Great. The best thing to do on a day off is? The best thing to do on a day off is do something, make your days off count. Yeah. If I could live anywhere in the world apart from London, it would be? Oh, this is really boring because I lived there for like 20 years, but 100% Edinburgh. Yeah. I'd move back in a heartbeat. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Love it there. Um, my favourite flavour of ice cream is... Ooh, pistachio. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Closely followed by mint choc chip, but definitely pistachio. Yeah. Bougie. Mental health to me is? A minefield. Mm. Never had that answer before. Mm. But it is a bit, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's, it's understanding what you can say and what you can't say. And everyone is different. And you don't want to put a foot wrong. But sometimes you just got to put that foot wrong yeah. and open up a conversation. Amazing. Chris, thank you so much for joining thank me. You. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, I hope you have a lovely week. And you. Thank you so much for listening to Industry Minds and we hope you enjoyed this week's episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to listen to our new episodes which are out every Thursday. If you are interested in our counselling service, please email maryindustryminds at gmail.com or just get in touch with us. For news on future guests and events, oi oi, please check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts over at Industry Minds UK. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. Have a great week. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, did you just want to say bye? Did I just say bye? No, 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 no,